Hello and welcome to episode 98 of the official EstablishTheRun.com podcast. My name is Adam Levitan. I am one of the co-founders here at ETR and it is peak fantasy football draft season. Over the next one to two weeks, we estimate, I don't know, 90% of people will draft their teams. With that in mind, I am joined by the man who moves ADPs, the master of everyone's favorite top 150 rankings. It is Evan Silva. Evan, what's going on? What's going on, man? Um, things are really starting to come to a head. You know, there have been a lot of uh, like soft tissue injuries that, you know, and the teams don't come out and say, oh, you know, they're going to be back, you know, in two weeks. You know, they, I mean, they don't even know. Soft tissue injuries are, they're tough to predict, like in terms of return timetables. Um, they prevent players from being able to exercise and stay in shape. Well, you know, like hamstring injuries, I mean, can't go run around on a hamstring and you just need to let it heal. So that creates a lot of uncertainty with our projections. Um, but, you know, the, we, we needed to anticipate this because especially with so little preparation and practice time and who knows what players were doing all off season, um, this was going to be a reality that was going to come to us. And now we have to deal with it and it's not easy to deal with, but, um, it's definitely something that we have to build into our expectations, into our rankings. And there have been a lot of rankings changes recently, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. Yeah. Fantasy football is always going to be a partial information game, right? All we can do is do the best with the information that we have. I think we have access and we grind harder than anybody to find the best information and make the best decisions that we can. So I feel good from that standpoint. We do not have preseason games this year, which is obviously a big hole in our process, but it has given us more time to explore everything that's going on in practices and stuff like that. As Evan mentioned, on today's show, we are going to talk top 150 rankings changes. We're also going to talk a lot of the news that's flown through. As Evan said, we've had some injuries. Our rankings are updating daily to reflect all that. Before we get into that, wanted to remind everyone of two things. First, our draft kit is just $35. If you've been listening to the free pods for the last, I don't know, four, five, six months and enjoyed them, we should let you know that this is just the tip of the iceberg. There is an avalanche more of what you need to win your draft inside of our kit. So we'd hope and we'd appreciate that you check out the draft kit on the site. Again, just $35. I would also personally like to remind everyone that DFS season is coming. DFS NFL season is the greatest season of them all. If you would like to join us for DFS season, I would recommend the bundle package. It's up on the site right now. Gets you the draft kit and everything we do from week one through the Super Bowl for the lowest possible price. Okay. Let's get to some rankings changes, Evan. Chris Carson left the team after a death or multiple deaths in his family. Missed seven of nine practices. He had gotten up to RB22 in your rankings, but he's back now. He's back up to RB16. And honestly, he's one of my favorite round three picks. You know, James Conner, Jonathan Taylor, Chris Carson, I think would be my favorites. And we're going to talk more about that in a future pod. But tell me where you're at with Chris Carson right now as he's rejoined the Seahawks. Yeah, so Chris Carson, when he left the team, it was a little bit of a scary situation, uh, certainly in real life. Um, you know, Chris Carson dealt with some real-life hardship there. Um, but from, you know, a fantasy projection standpoint, they announced him as out indefinitely. And I, I didn't know what to do. We already know that he was coming off a hip fracture. He did not require surgery on the hip fracture. So anytime I hear a hip fracture, I'm like, geez. But, you know, he – it doesn't seem like the Seahawks have severe concerns about Chris Carson's health. 
And now he's back in, you know, running with the first team like he always would. And the beat writers seem very confident in Seattle that he's going to maintain a feature back workload. There has been some discussion of DJ Dallas, the Seahawks fourth round pick, maybe taking over on third downs. Um, that's spec. That's beat writer speculation. At the end of the day, I think Chris Carson, where we have him slotted right now, is he's in this tier. It's like uh, the third through fourth round tier of James Connors at the top of the tier. Jonathan Taylor is the next guy in the tier. And then we have Chris Carson, then Todd Gurley, Melvin Gordon. It's sort of a small tier, but I think that all those guys, you know, sort of project similarly. And I'm a believer in uh, the Seahawks offense this year. We're going to talk a little bit more about the Seahawks offense pretty soon. Um, but I think that they are going to take a step forward. And uh, I think their defense is going to be problematic, especially up front. Um, and Chris Carson is like an established good player, a player that Russell Wilson trusts, that Pete Carroll loves. I mean, Pete Carroll absolutely loves Chris Carson. It, it seemed like there was a front office versus coaching staff clash when the Seahawks front office selected Rashad Penny, if you remember, in the first round. And Pete Carroll was like, yo, we love Chris Carson. He was a seventh-round pick. He doesn't care. That's, that's something that you can always respect about Pete Carroll, even dating back to choosing Russell Wilson over Matt Flynn, which seems obvious in hindsight. But he, he's a guy that definitely believes in the value of competition. And Chris Carson has shown himself to be a guy that is – that can be very, very productive, had a horrible year in terms of fumbling. They, st they stuck by him through all those fumbles. A lot of teams, like, would have just cut Chris Carson. Uh, if he had, you know, would have cut, you know, a seventh-round pick who had eight fumbles. But, um, yeah, we have Chris Carson in, in a spot right now where established the run audience uh, is going to have a, a real good shot to get him. Yeah, I, I like Chris Carson. I would actually have Connor in a tier above just because I think Connor actually has paths to three down plus goal line. Whereas Carson, I don't know if he's going to be three down. They do have Carlos Hyde. They do have DJ Dallas. I haven't mentioned Rashad Penny is going to start the year on Pup for those of you guys who are just catching up. But yeah, like I mentioned, I think Connor, JT, and Carson, if you're trying to get two running backs in the first three rounds, certainly should be options for you. Let's talk Chris Herndon. Chris Herndon has made a big move in your rankings. You moved Chris Herndon from tight end 18 to tight end 11 in the top 150. Chris Herndon is now above Mike Jasicki. Shout out Penn State. Above Hayden Hurst, well above TJ Hawkinson, well above Fant, well above Goddard. I've always been a fan of watching Chris Herndon play, even preseason. He got some limited reps last year. He was awesome. Rookie year, obviously, it's extremely rare for a rookie tight end to go over 500 receiving yards. He did that. Jets have had all kinds of wide receiver problems. Talk to the people about this big move for Chris Herndon. So this tier is the sweet spot for late round tight end drafting. As we've discussed often on the show, we like the idea of either you take an elite tight end or you come back and take multiple of these uh, late round tight ends. We, we don't like the middle tier. We don't like, I mean, Evan Ingram has a lot of risk. Um, Rob Gronkowski has risk. Austin Hooper might not have big upside. Tyler Higby, you know, was, he's got 58 games of poor production and five games of, of elite production. So we're, we're trying to skip that tier, that middle round tier, and we're either taking an elite tight end or we're moving down and taking multiple of these high upside late round tight ends. 
for sure some of these guys are going to pop. I'm going to just read some of these names that are in this tier. Chris Herndon, we now have at the top of the tier. Mike Jasicki is the next guy. Hayden Hurst has a lot of upside in that high-volume uh, Atlanta passing offense. Uh, Hunter Henry is in this tier. We know he can play. We're just we're skeptical of the offense. Noah Fant had one of the best rookie seasons by a tight end in terms of just receive, straight receiving production in NFL history. TJ Hawkinson, we're very, very intrigued by. Dallas Goddard, I think, has a high floor and a super high ceiling if something were to happen to Zach Ertz. And then Ian Thomas, great athlete, lots of opportunity. So this is an excellent tier to target. Um, if you're trying to draft multiple tight ends at the uh, at, at the back end of your draft, I want to have Herndon at the top of this tier because the target distribution in the Jets offense, um, I think, is going to end up being a lot more concentrated than it initially appeared. Denzel Mims cannot get off the shelf with the hamstring injury. I mean, he's been out. I mean, is he even going to start in Week One? I don't. I, don't, I would say no. Um, Brashad Perryman has been dealing with knee swelling and missing practice time. The only other pass catcher in the Jets offense that has any sort of rapport with Sam Darnold is uh, Jamison Crowder, and then it's Chris Herndon. And we know that Chris Herndon can play, and I think that the target upside for him is immense at this point. I don't expect the Jets to be a particularly good team. I think they'll be playing from behind a fair amount. Uh, and – Chris Herndon has, I, I think, I think he could definitely push for a hundred targets. Yeah. I like that. I still think that I pref probably prefer Jasicki and I'm, we're going to make a case for Hawkinson here a little bit later, but yeah, Chris Herndon certainly set up really, really well, despite the Adam Gaze factor. Everybody knows Adam Gaze, the statistical depressant for good fantasy players. Speaking of Adam Gaze, he had Kenyon Drake. Kenyon Drake is one of these things everyone's talking about at the top. Beat reporters spot him in a walking boot. Obviously everybody starts freaking out. Oh my God, Kenyon Drake's in a walking boot. They come out, they say, this is just normal Knicks. This is training camp soreness. This is no big deal. Kenyon Drake says it's no big deal. He had a boot on in, in Dolphins camp last uh, a year ago also. That said, even before this news came out, Evan, you moved up Chase Edmonds a ton. And so now you have Chase Edmonds at 90th overall. And this was before the Kenyon Drake news. So talk to people about the Arizona backfield and what made you move Chase Edmonds up so much even before this Kenyon Drake news. Well, there were indications coming out of Cardinals camp that Chase Edmonds would have a role uh, behind Kenyon. Let's zoom out a little bit. Kenyon Drake, in four years at Alabama, never had more than 92 carries in a season. In the NFL so far, which he's been in the NFL for, I think, five years now, he's never averaged more than 15.7 touches per game in a year. So he has almost virtually no true workhorse uh, track record. And, so, and we know that the Cardinals are very likely to have uh, a high-octane rushing attack after they finish number two in rushing offense, DVOA, per football outsiders behind only the Ravens last year. We want to invest in this rushing attack. And – if it, you know, if if we can elevate Chase Edmonds to a point where we're willing to take him in the ninth round, I'm totally fine with that. You know, I did not want to have him in a place in our rankings where he was like ranked as like a 12th round pick. I want to be aggressive on Chase Edmonds because I think that he has a chance to be usable as a flex play standalone based on Kenyon Drake's very, very limited track record of or non-existent track record of being a workhorse. And then if something were to happen to Kenyon Drake, which 
magically already, you know, maybe has happened, then Chase Edmonds is an immediate RB1. I, I've loved Chase Edmonds since he came out of uh, Fordham. And um, he could play in the passing game. He could run between the tackles. I remember our, our good friend Josh Norris compared him to Matt Forte uh, at one point. Um, he's drawn comparisons to Devontae Freeman in his one chance to, uh, as a feature back last year, he had like 27 uh, carries, three touchdowns against the Giants, some 30 receiving yards. I think he's a good player. And so um, I like guys that are, are good players in great situations. And that's what Chase Edmonds is. Yeah. And people are going to immediately ask, well, if you say all this about Kenyon Drake, are you moving him down in your rankings? Right. I mean, people are automatically assuming he's in a walking boot. Evan likes Chase Edmonds. Does that mean that you're off Kenyon Drake as a late first round pick? Well, again, I, I made the move on Chase Edmonds before the Kenyon Drake walking boot thing. I thought about moving Kenyon Drake down. And then I looked at the rankings and I was like, I'm not going to move him down. Um, I only would have moved him down like three or four spots. I wouldn't have moved him down uh, below any other running backs. So, and, and indications I think are that this injury is not serious, that it's just a, a routine, uh, you know, wear and tear sort of issue. And so that's where I'm at with Kenyon Drake. We have him as like a, an early to mid second round pick. I would still take him there, obviously with a little bit more trepidation than previously. Um, but I, I, he's again, he's in a great, great situation. I don't think this injury is serious. Okay, let's move on to Zach Moss. If you guys have been listening for the last couple of months, you're tired of us talking about Zach Moss. We've been talking about Zach Moss constantly. Um, Zach Moss's ADP is now on the rise. And uh, a lot of it probably has to do, uh, frankly, with Evan talking about him a lot and us talking about him a lot. But now there's also been buzz out of camp that Zach Moss is balling out. That Zach Moss, you could argue, is a better pass catcher right now than Devin Singletary. We know that the Bills probably think Zach Moss is a better goal line runner right now than Devin Singletary, who they refuse to use at the expense of putting Frank Gore out there for like 11 carries inside the 10 for zero touchdowns. So you have moved up Zach Moss, and we were already way ahead of market on him. You, you moved up again, RB36 from RB42. I don't want to spend a lot of time here because we've already talked to the people so much about Zach Moss, one of our favorite picks in the 9th, 10th, 11th round. And honestly, in kind of casualties, you can probably get him even later than that but yeah just quickly why move up Zach Moss now even further he's just one of these guys that we want to stay ahead of uh, in terms of ADP you know Will Fuller is a guy like that um, and Zach Moss is a guy like that I, I I have some skepticism about Zach Moss's true upside because Devin Singletary is certainly going to remain involved in any scenario and Josh Allen is a huge touchdown vulture but I think the Bills are going to be really good this year. I think that they're going to have a lot of running back friendly game script. Zach Moss is 223 pounds. Devin Singletary is 5'7", 203. He's small. Um, and Joe Buscaglia, who, you know, a friend of the show, I would say, uh, you know, longtime Bills beat writer, suggested that there, were going to, there are going to be games this year where Zach Moss is the feature back and Devin Singletary is the change of pace back. And when you look at them from a player profile standpoint, Zach Moss looks like the feature back, and Devin Singletary looks like the change of pace back. So I think it was assumed almost at one point in the offseason that Devin Singletary was going to break out. I think people are starting to realize that he's got more competition than, um, you know, than people maybe have foreseen. 
And we're going to stay ahead of ADP on Zach Moss. All right, let's go back to Seattle. And you move DK Metcalf ahead of Cooper Cup, which I don't think is a big deal. You know, very small uh, one spot in the rankings. I think the bigger picture is I want to zoom out and say, hey, in the event that they actually let Russ cook, and there's been whispers about this. Russ has tweeted about it. Beat writers are talking about it. In the event they actually do let Russ cook, Lockett, Russ, and DK are going to look like outrageous values. And I, the point that I want to make and, and about, you know, from playing DFS and everything, when you know where the ball is going to go, it is extremely valuable. This Seahawks offense does not feature their tight ends. They do not feature their running backs very much in the past game. They do not feature their third wide receiver very much. I mean, when Russ cooks, it's going to DK and Lockett, and there is a ton of value in that. So what do you think the chances are that Russ actually ends up cooking and talk to people a little bit about moving Metcalf ahead of Cooper Cup? I mean, I have to admit, you know, again, I like to talk about biases instead of, uh, you know, just ignoring them. And I certainly have some biases toward wanting the Seahawks to let Russ cook. Um, But we've also received like, you know, tangible information that suggests that it's a real possibility. I think it's interesting that Russ has talked about it openly, something that he has never done. He's, He's, you know, Russ is like the ultimate team player. Um, and he's not really one to step up and voice his opinion, but he has said publicly that, yeah, he wants to, you know, loosen the reins a little bit in quarters one through three. There's Pat Thorman has, uh, some incredible charts that show like the, the Seahawks, I think were bottom five in terms of, um, uh, like went, uh, leading in games last year. Uh, in quarters one through three. And then in quarter four, they just like spiked because Russell Russ would bring them back. And I mean, that that's a reality that the Seahawks have really been suffocating Russ. If they do loosen the reins, even just a little bit, I think that Tyler Lockett, who were certainly much higher uh, on ADP then and uh, DK Metcalf are, are going to benefit immensely because there's not a whole lot of target competition. I mean, the third receiver right now is probably Philip Dorsett. Uh, Carson was used more in the in the passing game this past year, but he's still a guy. I think he had what like forty catches, something like that. Um, Greg Olson is a tight end. I think he's going to be a you know maybe a potentially solid real life addition, but not a guy who's going to be a huge target commander. So we're looking at the target tree in Seattle, and if they open it up a little bit, DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett are going to absolutely crush. Um, we were one spot below FFPC ADP on DK Metcalf. And I just wanted to at least get him even with FFPC ADP because I want the establish the run audience to at least have a chance. He's got a monster ceiling. You know, we're, we're going to be getting a lot of Tyler Lockett this year again. Uh, but I want to make sure that DK Metcalf is also in our range. Um, so try, trying to get a more aggressive on him. Okay. Speaking of news from camp and guys we were high on similar to Zach Moss, I mean, it's kind of frustrating, but this is a reason you draft early. It's not about the injuries. It's not about anything else. When you can identify Damian Harris as an awesome 15th round pick a month ago, and now he's going like the ninth or 10th round, you're just printing Sclancy Bucks. You're just printing EV. And so the news out of Damian Harris just could not be better. Sony Michelle is obviously out. There's no sign of him. We don't even know if he's gonna be ready for week one. Same with Lamar Miller. Meanwhile, Damian Harris, and shout out to Jeff Howe, who charts uh, targets in training camp practices. Damian Harris has been among the most targeted 
players from any position and everybody and their beat writers are raving about how well Damian Harris is playing in the past game. Um, Mike Reese, Jeff Howe, everybody's talking about how well Damian Harris has played both as a runner and a receiver. If I had to bet right now, Damian Harris would be the guy I would say would open as the feature back this season. You have moved him up to RB32. As I said, we've been higher than Mark got on him all year. I think it's pretty self-explanatory, but it, I mean, it's pretty, time to get pretty excited about Damian Harris. What's the highest you would take him now? Yeah, Sony Michelle looks likely to open the season on reserve PUP. Lamar Miller is still not off the PUP list uh, coming off his ACL tear. So that would sort of turn this backfield into a two, maybe three. I don't, I don't want to mention Rex Burkhead's name too loud now. But um, maybe a two-man backfield between James White and Damian Harris. I'm still concerned about Damian Harris' upside because I don't think – there's really any scenario where he is going to end up catching a ton of passes this year in the same backfield as James White. But um, I think that he's the clear-cut favorite for carries in New England at this point, and I want to read off the schedule for the Patriots to begin the year because it's highly, highly favorable for a rushing attack. Week one, at home against the Dolphins. Yes. Week two – at Seattle, Seattle has really one of the weakest front four in the NFL, and they were a bad run defense last year. They lost to Javion Clowney, who is um, you know, a, an excellent run-defending defensive end. Week three, back home against the Raiders. So, uh, And then week four, at the Chiefs. The Chiefs are not a good run defense, typically, but um, you know that those games can be back and forth shootouts, et cetera. But so we're going to know early on Damian Harris. You know, we're going to know whether he is a hit early. And um, I like him, you know, I like taking him eighth through 11th rounds, anywhere in there. I think he's a really good pick. Okay. Let's skip over to this Daryl Henderson situation. And, you know, Daryl Henderson last year got so buried on the bench. I mean, couldn't even get on the field when Todd Gurley was limping around. They played Malcolm Brown over him. Todd Gurley leaves and then they use second round draft capital on Cam Akers. So, I mean, signs were not good for Daryl Henderson already. Now he gets a late August hamstring pull. The Rams are reportedly, quote unquote, hopeful he'll be ready for week one. But man, it's not great for Daryl Henderson. I could see even if Daryl Henderson gets healthy for week one, that they go to a two man of Cam Akers and Malcolm Brown. How do you see the Rams playing out and were you tempted at all to move Cam Akers up in the rankings? Yeah, I considered it. Um, I still think Daryl Henderson is going to be a factor. I still think that Malcolm Brown is going to be a factor. I think that the offensive line for the Rams is questionable. I think their defense is really questionable. And, um, you know, especially after losing Wade Phillips. And I, Cam Akers is one of the toughest dudes for me to rank. I, did, I wound up not moving him up. I did move Daryl Henderson down from RB40 to RB45. Um, it's just, it's a very ambiguous situation. I'm not even sure that there's a, even a breakout, true breakout candidate here, uh, because I think that at the end of the day, there's going to be a committee and the running game itself is not going to be that lucrative in terms of uh, rushing and, and, and receiving production. Yeah. I'm interested in the Rams as a bounce back for a lot of stuff. Leone said, I mean, Jared Goff can put up attempts in a big way. And if Cam Akers turns out to be the pass catching running back and they have a lot of draft capital invested in him. I know they did Daryl Henderson too, but yeah, I, I, I think I'm uh, warming a little bit on Cam Akers. I still prefer DeAndre Swift for sure. And we'll talk about that on the round by yep. round pod 
Um, but yeah, I, I think Cam Akers would be a little bit of a riser for me personally on this news. Speaking of risers, the news on TJ Hawkinson has been awesome. There was, you know, he had a quote at the beginning of camp that was like, I still feel my ankle, but it's 100%, which didn't make any sense, right? I guess, I guess it kind of makes sense. You can feel something, but feel like you're still playing at your peak level. But no matter what's going on with his ankle, beat writers just cannot stop salivating over TJ Hawkinson every single day. They're saying TJ Hawkinson is dominating practice every single day. And really, when you're a top 10 pick in the NFL draft, like that's what you should do. A lot of times we don't see it until year two with NFL tight ends. I think there's a big chance for a leap. Now you moved him up to tight end 16 from tight end 18, still behind Noah Fant, still behind Hunter Henry, as we mentioned, still way behind Chris Herndon. So I think you're warming on TJ Hawkinson, but you might still be a little bit behind TJ Hawkinson's market right now because the hype on TJ Hawkinson is getting very, very hot, at least in fantasy Twitter and hardcore people. So are you okay being a little bit below market on TJ Hawkinson, even though you did move him up? I'm not okay. And I'm worried that I'm going to miss the boat on a massive breakout because I believe in the Lions offense. I think it's really underrated. I've always believed in TJ Hawkinson, won the freaking Mackey Award as a sophomore at Iowa. Um, he showed us our upside, his upside in week one last year. He had only one other game above 60 yards the rest of the season. I think he had three for 84 uh, against the Raiders. But other than that, you know, only two games above 60 yards all season. But he dealt with a bunch of injuries. And I love TJ Hawkinson. It's just I love Noah Fant too. I love, you know, Hunter Henry is a proven rock-solid NFL player. Mike Jasicki showed us his upside in the second half of last year. Hayden Hurst is in an incredible situation. Chris Herndon, I think, is going to be an absolute target monster. Dallas Goddard, I think, you know, again, this tier is really hard to separate. So instead of, you know, giving, like, individual player takes among this tier, I would just say, boom, try to hit it twice. You know, if you're not getting Kittle, you're not getting Kelsey, you're not getting Andrews, you're not getting Ertz, wait and hit this tier twice. Yep. Love it. Okay. News out of Las Vegas. I was about to say Oakland. News out of Las Vegas. Tyrell Williams has a torn labor. Tyrell the Gazelle says he's going to play through it. You know, these torn labrums are things that guys can try to play through and then get surgery after the season. We'll see. I think the key point here is Tyrell is an ex. And Brian Edwards, who seems to be like draft Twitter's like favorite guy, I don't know that Brian Edwards' hive is strong. Brian Edwards is, is uh, the backup ex. So obviously it's a big boost if Tyrell misses time for Brian Edwards. But I also think that it's interesting for Henry Ruggs, just from a target share perspective. Like I think you can project him reasonably right now for somewhere between 16 and 18%. If we get that to 20% target share for Henry Ruggs playing Z, playing slot, that's really exciting to me. So yeah, I thought the Tyrell Williams news was at least interesting. Do you have any interest in drafting Brian Edwards maybe in deeper leagues? And did you think about moving Henry Ruggs up at all? I know we're already above market on Henry Ruggs. Exactly. And yes, I definitely thought about moving Ruggs up. But if you look where he is, I think he's just, we, we already had him in the sweet spot. We had him in a spot where he is right there with Jalen Rieger, Deshaun Jackson, um, John Brown, Brandon Ayuk. You know, that's like a, a nice little tier. A lot, I think there's a lot of value with all those guys. Um, Henry Ruggs, I, I, I've been drafting him since May. And, you know, with, with very few fears, I think that Brian Edwards – the, the hype on him was, I think, jumping the shark a little bit earlier, but now he catches this break where Tyrell Williams has this injury that could – I mean, Tyrell Williams could be a zero all year at this point. Um, 
So I don't know. I, and is Derek Carr the kind of the type of quarterback to really feed Brian Edwards and make him a true fantasy factor? I'm not sure. You've got Hunter Renfro there. You've got Darren Waller, who's going to command a big target share. You've got Henry Ruggs, who's going to command a big target share after they use the 12, you know, they made him the, the first wide receiver drafted. Um, they could end up playing a lot of two tight end sets with Jason Witten and Foster Moreau. And um, so I, I think that Brian Edwards is a guy that is a definite buy in Dynasty, but I, I'm, I guess I'm, I'm skeptical in redraft. Yeah. Speaking of the Raiders, and you mentioned pass game options, and, you know, it's not that we think Theo Riddick is a big deal and Theo Riddick is going right. to go out there and catch 100 balls. The point is that they're telling us what their actions, what they think right. about Josh Jacobs. And you had the tweet, you know, they signed, re-signed Jalen Richard for a bunch of money. They use a significant draft capital on Lynn Bowden, who's essentially a wide receiver. They signed Theo Riddick now. And so maybe they're telling us, hey, we, in theory, we want Josh Jacobs to catch more balls. And they've come out and said that. But in practicality, we think these other guys are better at catching balls. Now, Josh Jacobs, you know, fading Josh Jacobs in week one is going to be tough because he's going to go off on Carolina. But then, as you've mentioned... Oh, no, we're, we're playing Josh Jacobs in week one. Right. I'm talking about the season-long people now. They're going to have to, they're right. going to, have to be sick in week one if, when, they, when they're going to be like, Evan told us not to take Josh Jacobs and he's going to go ham on Carolina. But then, New Orleans, New England, Buffalo, at KC, Tampa, at Cleveland, at the Chargers. We're talking about some serious, serious defense Josh Jacobs and this Raiders team is going to face next. And so you have major game flow concerns. I, I know Josh Jacobs is an ascending talent. I think a really good runner. He's going to be productive when he gets the ball. Obviously, all the concerns are about his pass game role. So the theoretic news, I know you know and love theoretic back from the Notre Dame days. For those guys that don't know, Eric, uh, Evan is a big Notre Dame homer. Uh, no, don't, don't do this. Don't do this. <laughs> That's that not the case. When theoretic was at Notre Dame, I liked Sierra Wood, who very few people will remember he got, he like arrested himself out of the NFL, but I like Sierra Wood better than Theo Riddick. Okay. But you are Notre Dame Homer. No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Anyways. I, I, I inject no emotion into my analysis. Okay. Okay. Anyways, what do you think about the Theo Riddick signing? Uh, Josh Jacobs is probably going to go before we have him in the rankings most likely. I'm okay with it. I'm a little scared just on talent perspective, but I think it sets up really from a scary from schedule and pass catching. I love Josh Jacobs as a runner. I think that he may already be a top five, just straight up ball carrier in the NFL. As a rookie, he drew 2.1 targets per game. He caught 20 passes. He ran over the course of the season. He ran seven more routes than Jalen Richard. Okay. And he also had this shoulder injury, which I wonder if it might still be a problem based on all the pass catching. I mean, think about, you know, what do you do as a pass catcher? You get the pass block, you have to go run routes and catch passes. And, you know, and the, the Raiders have made it a, a, an absolute priority to build their stable of running backs uh, to, to be pass catchers. I mean, they haven't even gone out and got, gotten like, a, you know, a two down sort of handcuff for J Josh Jacobs. They, as soon as the season ended, they signed Jalen Richard to a two-year, $7 million extension. Um, in the draft, they, they took Lynn Bowden, who was a, primarily a wide receiver. He played some Wildcat quarterback and, you know, had some carries at Kentucky. 
very Randall Cobb type player, but they announced him as a running back when they made the selection. And in their post-draft press conference, Mayock was like, yo, we're using Bowden as a running back. They went out and signed. This is not something that they had to do. They went out and signed away from a division rival, Devontae Booker, who uh, is, you know, a pass blocking, um, you know, receiving running back primarily. And then now they go out and sign Theo Riddick. And it's that, you know, a lot of the replies that I get when I, you know, express any level of skepticism about Josh Jacobs is like, imagine fading Josh Jacobs for, uh, because of Devontae Booker, LOL. But that's not what we're doing. Mm-hmm. We're, as you mentioned, the, the schedule is brutal. So you're, you're putting your – Josh Jacobs is a running back who is going to be playing on a bad team, facing – the Braiders were top, uh, bottom five in point differential last year. I know they went seven and nine. They won a bunch of close games. They finished really, really slowly. They're not going to be good. They finished bottom five in point def- differential. This year they have a, a, one of the five toughest schedules in the NFL, which is especially tough on the front end, as you already pointed out. So that suggests that the Raiders are going to be playing from behind quite often. Now they have like four pass-catching backs on their team to take those snaps when they're playing from behind. That's terrifying for, for Josh Jacobs, who, again, I believe in as a ball carrier, but I, I – I'm doing the shy away 40 right now. I've got about 30 players written up. I think that I'm going to make Josh Jacobs the number one fade. Last year we had Antonio Brown as the number one fade in the shy away 40. I think I'm going to make it Josh Jacobs this year. It's a little scary because I do believe in his talent, but the, the, the signals that the, the organization itself uh, are, are giving off to us are, are not positive about his pass catching role. And this is a team that looks very likely to spend most of 2020 in negative game script. Yeah, I dig it. My number one shy would, would be Rob Gronkowski, but you know, that's a story for another day. Uh, okay, last thing we're going to hit today. There's been mixed reviews and beat reporters. You know, I don't really trust a lot of these beat reporters, their eyes. Oh, Ben Roethlisberger looks like he's going to throw in a good ball today. Rob, Ben Roethlisberger looks like he's throwing a bad ball today. You know, what do these beat writers really know about the kind of ball that Ben Roethlisberger is throwing? But I think the reviews have mostly been good for what it's worth. I mean, you know, there was one where it looked, somebody said he looked like he was shot putting like Philip Rivers, but then somebody else came back and said, no, that's not true. He's throwing the ball. Great. There was a long story in Yahoo where Ben said how much better his elbow feels, feels better than it has in 13 or 14 years. So latest report, and you tweeted it out, was that Ben Roethlisberger is putting on a throwing clinic at camp. And so if that's the case, as Thorman noted, well, God, the same thing we've been talking about for the last four or five months, maybe very beginning of the draft process, James Conner was going like the fifth round. Juju was going like the fifth round. And we were like, that is just so egregious. In the event Ben is healthy, last year's stats, last year's tape could not be more irrelevant. Juju, Connor, Deontay, James Washington, Ebron are all going to be underpriced. So I feel good about the position that we have been in for months on Pittsburgh, aka taking them and taking them a ton. And it seems like you are too, at least based on Ben Roethlisberger's health. How are you feeling about Steelers stuff right now? So I think a lot of fantasy analysts, and I mean, I used to do this myself and I really try to not do it anymore. They try to also become medical analysts. And that is a a really scary track to walk. I think that, you know, especially since pro football doc, uh, Dr. Chow came on the scene. I mean, I'm just going to leave pretty much everything to him um, in terms of, you know, uh, medical projection. He's been extremely active. And 
with Ben Roethlisberger, he says that it is easier for an NFL quarterback to overcome Tommy John surgery than it is for an NFL pitcher, an MLB pitcher. And a lot of MLB pitchers come back throwing the ball better after Tommy John surgery. And now we're hearing glowing reports about Ben Roethlisberger, how he's throwing the football. He's 38 years old. He's not that old. He's not that old. Um, and, I, and I think that they're going to be in a lot of favorable situations this year because of their defense. I mean, their defense really turned a corner this past year. Uh, I think that the pass attempts are not necessarily going to be there. Certainly not the 2018 level of pass attempts where he, they, they led the NFL in pass attempts. Um, but I, Again, I'm leaving it to Pro Football Doc. You know, I really trust Dr. Chow. Uh, time and time again, he has led us in the right direction, and um, that's sort of where I'm standing with Ben Roethlisberger. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's. I think it wasn't even. It was something like Tommy John, but it wasn't even Tommy John. But either way, he says it's it was. Bothered. It it actually was. They they said first of all, well, it was reported to be Tommy John, and then someone said, oh, I think it was Ben on like a yeah. radio. I said it wasn't Tommy John. Right. And then when they actually got details, Dr. Chow was like, it was Tommy John. Okay. <laughs> okay. Either way, Ben looks good. Uh, bottom line is that we are very close to drafts and Evan is not sleeping. He is working around the clock for you guys to keep the top 150, to keep the rankings, to keep the tiers all updated for you. His shy away, the very, my, one of my favorite preseason season long articles every year, guys to stay away from is going to be out in the next few days here. So if you haven't signed up yet, again, it's just $35 to get in on the draft kit. It does come with a $25 coupon to use in any FFPC league. Head to establishyourrun.com before your draft to pick that up and we'll be sure to help you out with all kinds of information that you need. So we'll be back with one of my favorite episodes. Uh, we're going to do round-by-round round targets and that'll be up soon after this one. So for Evan, for producer Luke. I am Adam. Good luck, everybody. Mm -hmm.